0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Billings, Montana, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Billings, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Billings. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome everyone. I am your host, James Orr. And today we have a very interesting class. I think uh, this is going to be a short class, but what it's about is covering the non loan specific loan comparison, loan cost characteristics of choosing a lender. You know, I think a lot of real estate investors, they might call up one, two, three lenders. And compare rates, compare the cost to get the loan, although some some investors won't. Uh, some investors don't do it that way. But I think a lot of investors will. A lot of investors will call you know, one or two or three lenders that they've gotten recommend- recommendations from, either from their other real estate investor friends or their real estate agent or their banking relationships that they have existing. And they will try to get quotes for their lender. And they will compare lenders based on, you know, what interest rate can I get today? And what are the costs associated with getting that loan? You know, because some of the costs are, they vary. They're, they're hard to compare. As we will cover in a completely different class where I talk about how do you compare and evaluate different lenders based on these kind of like costs. There's a whole class coming on that. But today, it's the opposite of that. It's not the opposite. It's a supplement to that. It is the kind of like non-monetary, non-direct loan comparison attributes for selecting a lender for real estate investors. Because, as you will find out, it's not always exclusively about price. It's not always exclusively about the interest rate. It's not always exclusively about the cost of the lender. There are non-financial selection criteria for choosing a lender to work with as a real estate investor. You know, we'll cover all the financial selection stuff in the class where we talk about how to evaluate mortgages comparing lenders. I'm not going to go over that today because we'll cover that very specifically. But really, this is stuff like, how do you find a good fit for your dream team? How do you find someone who understands and works with your goals, right? So you don't want to go out there and just choose a lender that has the absolute lowest price. You need help with someone who's going to sit down with you and make a plan with you and help you understand what it's going to take for you to be able to buy 10 properties or 15 properties over the next whatever time period you're doing it. You know, if you're doing Nomad, if you're trying to buy 10 properties, one per year, you know, a lender who's going to sit down with you and work through that math and help you understand debt to income. And is this property going to help you get there? Or is it going to really hurt you? Or is it going to limit your ability to buy the next property? You know, someone who really understands your situation and is willing to to assist you as part of your dream team, part of your advisory council. You know, if you think of this as running a real estate investing business, this is sort of like your board of directors your set of advisors who is assisting you in doing that. So sometimes you'll have three lenders that you're considering and they're all relatively close on price. Maybe they're off by, I don't know, $500, $1,000, maybe $2,000. And uh, no one of them is just far and away a much better team member. They, they want to see you be successful. They're like, hey, come on in. Let's go over all your numbers. Let's go over like a plan to get you where you want to be with you know the 15 properties or the 20 properties or the, the five properties or 100 doors or whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. They're on your side. They're part of your team. They want to help you succeed and understand what it's going to take for you to get there financially. You're not just guessing and researching online and trying to like figure out what applies to you and what doesn't apply to you. They're an expert in their getting loans and and brokering loans, and they're going to assist you in understanding what you need to do that. And maybe they happen to be the cheapest one, but as you'll probably discover, I I think this is just how it is, that they will probably not be the cheapest one. They'll be the the one that's $1,000 more or or $2,000 more. And then you got to decide, are you willing to pay a small premium in order to have a team member who is helping you achieve your overall goal and not just choose the cheapest One, and that's something you need to decide, but it's not always about price. It's not always about being the cheapest one. It's not always being about, you know, the other thing it's, it's sometimes about the value you're getting for paying this person as part of your team. So I think one of the factors, one of the non-financial, non-monetary reasons for selecting a lender is, are they a good advisor as part of your team, helping you achieve your specific goals? Do they have expertise in that? Are they willing to sit down with you? Are they willing to help you? Are they willing to work with you in order to achieve your goals? So that's one factor. Are they a good dream team member? Number two, overlays. So an overlay is the additional criteria, an additional restriction that lenders place on loan products that their company usually sells that is different than the baseline criteria. So for example, for doing a FHA loan, let's say the credit score typically for doing the FHA cuts off at 620. And I don't know that from memory. You'd have to go look it up. But let's say it does. Let's say it cuts off at 620. A a single lender can choose to make their company safer to make sure that the loans that they're underwriting um, perform a little bit better. They could say our minimum credit score For doing an FHA loan is not 620. 620 is what FHA will accept, but we are going to require 640. They've added an additional overlay on top of the criteria that FHA has set and that they're making it a little bit more conservative, a little stricter for you to get that loan. And so it's, it's important for you to understand where certain lenders have applied these overlays, what overlays they have in place. And some lenders really know these, right? They're like, hey, listen, traditionally, if you go straight to FHA or you go to another lender, they're going to say it's 620, for us it's 640. And they'll tell you up front. Other lenders may not know. They may not understand all of their overlays and where they differ, especially new, and, and like new lenders who don't really, haven't been in the industry that long and don't have a wide kind of like swath of experience to be able to say, you know, this is different than where I was in my last company. Because they may be telling somebody, you know, that this is the rule, but the rule is really specific to their own company. It may not be the generic rule for the entire industry, and theirs may be different than what the industry standard is. So dream team member, whether they're going to be a good part of your dream team, and overlays, other, another factor, like not specific to the interest rate or cost of getting the loan, that you may want to consider. It's not always about price. And the next one, some people may kind of like poo-poo this away, but personality. If you call up a lender and they make you feel like an idiot, maybe you want to choose another lender, even if they are $500 cheaper or $1,000 cheaper. If they're insulting to you or they make you feel little or they, they kind of like make you, make you feel like you're bothering them then maybe you choose someone else who doesn't make you feel that way. I think personality is a big factor in do this. And it's sort of related to dream team, but I think it's slightly different, right? I think there's a personality component or is this person, is this gonna be someone who I can communicate with because they are a good fit? They mesh well with my personality and you might be willing to pay a small premium for that. Okay, so personality is another one. What about accessibility and communication? I had a, I had a couple lenders. A client of mine was trying to use, a couple of clients of mine were trying to use a lender. And this was during a time when the market was ridiculously hot. We were like getting 20 offers on properties. And so you had to be like very aggressive, and sometimes you're doing things like after work and you're trying to call a lender to get a lender letter so that you could actually submit your offer and be competitive. And you know, you're kind of you're competing against, I don't know, sometimes five, 10, sometimes 20 offers on properties, and you really wanted to come across with your best foot forward and kind of be a strong candidate. And so early on in the process with this particular buyer who wanted to use this particular lender, I call up the lender, I say, hey, listen, you know, we're we're gonna be going out looking at properties tonight. Can I get your cell phone um, in case we're ready to write an offer so I can get a, a lender letter from you so we can make our offer, make make this buyer look as strong as possible and hopefully get their offer accepted. And he's like, no, <laughs> I will not give you my cell phone. Um, I only work eight to five. This was a bank. This is a local bank. But I only work eight to five. I don't give out my uh, my phone after hours. I said, OK, I, I appreciate you letting me know that. And he proceeded to use a different lender because this particular guy was not willing to be accessible, and I get it. I mean, as a real estate broker, and if you if you're a real estate investor, and you don't understand this, this is probably an important thing for you to understand as well. But as a real estate broker, um, you know, I'll give you another example related to this. So my wife and I were about to celebrate our 26th wedding anniversary, married 26 years. At the time, we're married longer than that now, um, and so we were we had planned on doing you know something fun for our 26th wedding anniversary kind of go out to dinner and stuff like that and the client we had been working with to kind of look at several properties um called us and said hey listen a property just hit the market they don't know it's our anniversary right they have no idea they call us up at like six o'clock hey yeah this property just hit the market um, and really hot market and i know we've been looking for a while but i think this might this one might be the one can we go look at this and so what do you do I mean, you're planning on going out with your wife to celebrate your 26th wedding anniversary. It's not like a national holiday. They they had no idea. Um, But, you know, I I think there's a, there's, part of me thinks that there's a fiduciary obligation as a real estate broker, where you have to do what's in the best interest of the client. And in this case, it probably was in their best interest to go see this property. um, And so that they didn't miss it. Now, you could argue, hey, James, get someone else to cover for your business. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. You could have done something like that. But there's this weird sort of like inconvenience of you had planned on doing something for your wedding anniversary, and someone calls up last minute, and they're like, hey, I really need something, and it needs to be now because if we wait till tomorrow, they could you know, have 27 offers. And if we get an offer in tonight, there could only be six offers. And if we make an offer that's really, really compelling and you know that makes sense, it, it could make it – to our advantage to do this offer right now. And so there's this kind of weird trade-off between being available, being accessible, being um, kind of someone who, who jumps and, and does what needs to get done in order to get offer accepted versus, you know, nope, I don't I don't take calls after five. Kind of an interesting thing. So maybe for you, accessibility could be an issue. Or it could not be an issue. You're like, hey, listen, I get it. I'm the type of person that I'll wait till the next day. If we don't get this one, that's just the cost of doing business. If that's you, that's fine. And maybe it doesn't matter. But some people, it does matter. And that could be a selection criteria. You know, how accessible are they? How how communicative are they? And a lot of times for communication, you won't know until after you're done with the transaction, after you're done with the first one. Although you can get some hints early on. But some people, they're really good at the aggressive follow-up to get the to get the person to say, hey, I'm going to go with you. And then they disappear while you're under contract because they're really, really good at following up with everybody who's calling in, but not really, really good about doing the deal and doing the communication of, okay, you know, uh, this is where you are in underwriting. This is what we still need from you. This is how we need to do this. And some of them kind of defer that out, refer that out to, you know, their team members. They have their team members calling and maybe their team members aren't great at communicating or they're not great at keeping you in the loop and stuff like that. And so, you know, it could just be, you know, that person's really great, but that's, but their role is as Rainmaker and their role is not to keep you informed about how the load is going or they, they don't perceive their role as being that. And maybe the company doesn't perceive their role as being that they're like, Hey, listen, your job is to go out there and get business. And then we will take care of them from them. We'll have, you know, we have admin people and underwriting people and, you know, there'll be other people following up with your guys, but your job is to go and meet people and to bring in new guys. Something to consider. You know, if you're um, if you're writing an offer, especially like on a weekend, and you need you need to know from the lender how much can we ask for in seller concessions because in this particular property you you need to have seller concessions in order to make your numbers work, and you can't get a hold of them. That could be potentially problematic with you getting your offer accepted because seller concessions could be a factor in whether it makes a deal work or not, and if you don't know the boundary conditions of seller concessions. You weren't planning on doing it, but this property, it really needed to happen, and you're trying to get a hold of a lender on a weekend, and the lender's not around, could be potentially problematic. So, that's important to understand. You know, this reminds me, um, I think we're going to cover this very briefly here in a second, but this, it reminds me, I'll, I'll make this point now. Just because someone is really, really good at explaining to you the loan programs does not mean they're good elsewhere. Someone who has knowledge, and this is this is more of a generalized thing in life, right? Um, I teach a lot of real estate investor classes. And so when I'm up in front of the room, if I'm really good at presenting class content, which you may or may not think that I am, <laughs> but if I'm really, really good at presenting class content, people automatically assume that that means I'm a good real estate broker, which may not be true. Think about that, right? You know, the skill of being a good stand up in front of the room, class teacher, presenter sort of person does not necessarily mean that I am a good fill out a contract, understand contract law, understand showing properties, be able to get you in there, good negotiator, understanding market stats, although market stats might be part of the presentation skill set, but, or being able to analyze what the market stats mean. Like the skill sets for those different things, they don't necessarily lead A to B. Because I'm a good presenter does not mean I'm a good real estate broker. Because someone is a, you know, is good at following up with you in order to get the business does not mean that they will be good at the loan part, that they understand the ins and outs of the loan process, that they understand just because they understand loans does not necessarily mean that they understand PMI, just because they understand kind of like generic loan stuff and like what it takes for you to get pre-approved does not necessarily mean that they are going to be good at helping you structure your plan for 20 properties. I don't mean to scare you away. I'm just trying to point out to you the obvious that one skill, skill in one particular area does not make you skillful in others. Now, they tend to correlate. There is a little bit of a correlation, right? Someone has knowledge about, you know, one aspect of doing loans. They might have a higher probability of having expertise in other parts of loans. But use like a sports analogy. You know, just because someone is a good three-point shooter doesn't mean that they are necessarily, um, you know, good at defending or good at layups, or just because someone is good at you know getting rebounds does not necessarily mean that they're a good three-point shooter or um, a free throw shooter, right? The different skills, think of it that way, okay? So accessibility, communication, and being available to do stuff. And then I have, a, I have another, here, another point here about going above and beyond. So I had a client once um, where the lender required a second appraisal late in the game. Not the the mortgage broker, but the person that they were brokering the loan to, the actual lender, the one that was gonna provide the money. They were actually requiring late in the game a second appraisal. And I think part of it was because the first appraisal, there weren't a lot of really good comps and they wanted a second opinion on this. And this was a really good client who had bought a lot of properties with me and this particular lender was trying to make a good impression, and they really wanted future business from this particular person because they suspected, and they were right in suspecting, that this person was going to go on and do multiple loans in the future. And so there was going to be an extra, in this case, $2,000 cost to have this second appraisal done. And the mortgage broker ate that $2,000 cost. They paid it. Not the buyer, the lender's, the broker, the mortgage broker themselves actually paid the $2,000 for the second appraisal. Now, if you're choosing the cheapest option, is the lender going to do that? Probably not, probably not, okay? So you probably don't get that with the cheapest lender. So that's something to consider. Now, it, it is important to understand this. Lender programs vary. You know, just because one lender you talk to says it can't be done, It doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be done universally. It may mean that they're not aware that it can be done or how to do it or that there are options for doing it. It just means that that particular lender tells you, no, we can't do this. Different lenders have different loan programs, in case you did not know that. So not every lender has every loan program. Not every lender has certain loan programs that other lenders have. Different lenders look at things differently and may be willing to do something that other lenders won't. Now, there are guidelines for qualifying for these loans, but sometimes interpreting those guidelines varies a little bit from lender to lender from time to time. There's some that are universally, I would say that, you know, like 99.9% of the guys are saying, yeah, this is how that goes. But there are occasionally somebody who interprets something differently, and it may be interpreted in your favor or it may be interpreted not in your favor. And you may be required to go look for another lender, or you may be incentivized to use that lender repeatedly. Different lenders, as I pointed out, have different knowledge levels. Not every lender is an A-plus lender. Not every lender is an F-minus lender. You know, just like there are good attorneys and bad attorneys and good real estate agents and bad real estate agents and good priests and bad priests and, you know, good football players and bad football players, there's a range of skill levels out there. And you should realize that that does apply to lenders. Some of them really know their stuff and are awesome to work with. Some of them are brand new and they're super sincere and they really want to do a good job, but they just don't have the knowledge level yet. And you may be still willing to work with them and just kind of realize that they are new. And they may ultimately be amazing members of your team. Or they may not be. They may be out of the business in three months and, you know, you're part of the wake of disaster that was left over. They're all the carnage from their three months in the business, right? So, no. So, When when I talk about lender programs in the future and when I talk about all the different programs and stuff like that, what I'm talking about is primarily what most lenders will do. There probably are some loans that I'm not covering because I don't know much about them. Just like some lenders don't know about some loan programs. I have blind spots as well. Okay? So in conclusion, if you need a specific loan, select the lender that offers that loan. You know, don't say, oh, my selection criteria is this, but then I only have one lender that's willing to do this particular loan program. You got to go with that lender, right? So I think that trumps a lot of different things. However, if several lenders offer that loan, you'll want to select the lender for your dream team. And comparing interest rates and costs to get the loan, they matter totally. And we're going to cover that in a separate class. It's that important. There's kind of like a separate class of how do you compare loan A to loan B to loan C, especially when they don't all call everything the same. And sometimes- They have different interest rates with different costs. And how do you like actually do that analysis? So we've got a whole separate class coming on that. But there are other non-financial aspects to considering a lender. And that's what we hopefully cover today to give you some insight as to some other things you'll want to consider. If you have some other ones, maybe point out to me some ones that you have that might be good there too. That's all I got for you. This has been James Orr. Hope you have a great day. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up, mortgage interest rates up and rents up, but not quite enough to counteract the higher prices and interest rates cash flow on rental properties and billings is harder than ever book a call with the real estate financial planner to apply our proprietary 88 strategies to improve cash flow on your rentals see the show notes for a link to schedule your call and improve your cash flow today if you're a real estate agent lender or professional in billings that wants to help our real estate investor listeners